Welcome to everyone joining the webinar. We will get started in just a few minutes. And when the um, and when the session starts, I'll go ahead and drop the slides in the chat as a handout. Welcome to everyone joining the webinar. We will get started in just a moment.
right, let's go ahead and get started with our presentation today. Um, my name is Rachel Dager. I'm the Executive Director of the Society for Nutrition Education and Behavior, and glad you're joining us uh, for this Journal Club webinar. Um, this fall series, we are doing the best of JNEB, um, and today we have um, a presentation about the best research brief. Um, so as just a reminder that the Journal of Nutrition Education and Behavior um, is the society's uh, peer-reviewed journal, uh, which serves to advance nutrition education education, and behavior-related research practice and policy. Um, before we begin, let me drop the uh, PDF of the slides for today into the chat. Um, so you should be able to download that and follow along with the presentation. Um, I have turned on the transcript option. Uh, we will take questions at the end of the presentation. Uh, so please type those throughout the presentation so we can uh, moderate those questions. There'll be plenty of time uh, for Q&A uh, during this presentation. Um, when I uh, close the webinar today, uh, you'll be prompted to complete a short survey. Um, please take a moment to give us feedback on this session as well as um, ideas for future uh, SNEB webinars. Uh, we are recording today's session. Um, that will be available um, and sent to you by email, probably by Wednesday of this week, along with the handout as well as the CEU certificate you're, you're earning for your attendance. Um, and I will turn things over to our moderator, Dr. Kristen DiFilippo, teaching assistant professor at the University of Illinois. Thank you, Rachel. Today, I get to introduce uh, Dr. Jared McGuirt. He is an assistant professor in the Department of Nutrition at UNC Greensboro. He's a mixed methods researcher with expertise in geographic information systems, innovative digital technologies for nutrition education and behavior, community-focused nutrition interventions, and health disparities and racial um, and health disparities and racial equity research. I want to thank him for just sharing his time with us as he talks about his best of article. At this point, I can hand it over to Dr. McGuire. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for that introduction. And thanks to everyone for joining this afternoon. I really appreciate your time um, and taking time out of your busy day to hear about uh, the research that we've been doing. So hopefully uh, it will be worth your time. I think this is a really fun and exciting project. I always love talking about it. Um, this is a project that I've been working on for a few years now. And at the end of the presentation, I'll talk about kind of where it's grown to since we originally um, did this project we're presenting today. And yeah, I'm just super excited to be here and to talk with you all. So um, the title of this presentation is Virtual Avatar Coaching with Community Context adult child dyads with low income. And so we'll, we'll go through and talk about um, why we uh, took the avatar approach and what this community context thing means that is in the title. Um, and yeah, so it'll be a, a really interesting discussion today. Thank you to JNEB for allowing me to present today. Um, really appreciate it. I'd also like to go ahead and introduce you to my friend Kale. Uh, that's the name of the avatar who you see on your screen who was created for this project. And here are the nutrition educator competencies. Uh, here's a list of the authors for the paper. So uh, we had an awesome team. 
who I would like to acknowledge, including my former PhD student, Bashira Ora, Dr. Amara Dyson, Dr. Gina Tripicchio, Lauren Mallard, and Dr. Christopher Ray. As you can see, the team had a couple of students on the, uh, on the author list, one undergraduate student, one a graduate student, which is really great. I want to acknowledge the funding source for this work. Our work uh, was supported by HRSA and their Preventing Childhood Obesity Challenge with phase, in, phase one and phase two funding. And I'll start with the background and justification for our project. So we'll start off by defining a pro the problem. There are many low-income families that face significant barriers to healthier lifestyles that will likely increase their risk for obesity and other diet-related diseases. This includes things like limited finances, and lack of transportation or to access resources, lack of access to health promotion and education opportunities, and a lack of access to individualized health information, which might be most effective at promoting behavior change. Solutions to obesity prevention in this population must acknowledge and attempt to address these barriers in order to be effective. So how can we overcome some of these barriers mentioned on the previous slide to prevent childhood obesity? Uh, our team felt that leveraging innovative digital communication technologies could be a potential solution. We know that most kids and many parents really enjoy interactive digital experiences, which can provide information in a way that transcends issues with availability and accessibility that may hinder utilizing traditional health promotion resources like community nutrition education programs. One form of digital technology is virtual reality. Virtual reality is a three-dimensional computer-generated environment, which can be explored and interacted with. One form of virtual reality is the use of avatars, a graphical representation of a character. These characters can be connected with decision trees to create a conversational experience with the user. Um, virtual reality and avatar software is improving and becoming easier to develop and use. And that's a really important point that we'll talk more about. So why use an avatar for nutrition education? Using an interactive three-dimensional avatar um, creates an opportunity for a form of social interaction which could be really important for those who may be socially isolated and to provide tailored responses, uh, which makes the experience more dynamic and interesting and relevant. Conversational nature of the experience may be good for adults or kids with low literacy. The avatar can be set up to ask probing questions to elicit more information about behaviors. And we'll talk a lot about that today. It can also help moderate conversation between users. So it can, uh, in our case, moderate discussion between a child and parent to create dialogue around dietary behaviors. And lastly, by loading in evidence-based clinical guidance information, um, the avatar can serve as a viable way to provide clinical level guidance to people that may have difficulty accessing such guidance. Databases of the built environment are increasingly available to provide contextual information on nutrition and physical activity environment exposure. There are also nutrition uh, education and clinical guidance guidelines available to help build the guidance approach of the avatar. And so one resource is the Bright Futures and Nutrition Guidelines, which some people uh, may be familiar with. Um, this provides theory-based and evidence-driven guidance for all preventative care screenings and well-child visits. And so really, big um, rationale for this approach, and I guess kind of the thought process behind it was this idea of integration. Um, so we wanted to integrate uh, this avatar approach. Uh, so using this digital technology, sorry, there's some weird timing stuff happening. Um, with the Integrate this avatar approach with the Bright Futures clinical guidelines and contextual databases to create a dynamic, social, interactive, and evidence and context-based experience. 
Um, so just kind of pulling things together in a, in a really cool and innovative way. Um, this integration of data and information from different sources delivered via virtual character creates a really interesting way to deliver contextualized nutrition guidance. So despite the potential of a virtual reality avatar programming approach for low-income families and children, the literature on this approach is very limited and inadequate. Um, children and racial minorities have not been a focus of this type of, of program development and research. Uh, additionally, we were unable to find examples of virtual experience that incorporated specific social and environmental contexts. Um, for example, the objective or subjective food environment into a virtual reality avatar programming approach. And so adding this component really makes the, the virtual experience more dynamic and more tailored. So the purpose of this study was to examine the feasibility and acceptability of an evidence-based community context-driven virtual avatar coaching approach among low-income parent and child diets. So now I'll provide a quick overview of the program just to make sure everyone's kind of on board with what we're talking about today. So we developed a healthy snacking kind of educational experience, which we thought was an important topic to cover uh, for this age group, which we're targeting five to 10 year olds uh, and their caregivers. Um, we designed the program so that the child and caregiver would use the program um, together with a child focused section starting the experience and a caregiver focused section ending the experience. This approach would potentially convey important information to the caregiver um, that occurred during the child experience and create conversation between the child and caregiver about the child's health behaviors. Both sections lasted between five to eight minutes, depending on the selections that the user made. So we tried to make the experience interactive, particularly in the child section to hold their attention. This included a lot of mini games, such as the child making a healthy smoothie, lots of fun pictures, lots of point and click opportunities and prompts for the child to select certain items. Um, based on the responses that the child and parent gave to the avatar um, and the fact that we collected the residential address of the caregiver and child um, at the beginning of the experience, the avatar was able to provide tailored context-based feedback uh, based on a built-in decision tree. On this slide, we have some selected scenes from the experience. You will see a variety of pop-ups, including buttons to click and infographics. And so now I'll go over some of the methods for the, the research study. First, I'll talk a little bit about our sample. So we wanted to recruit from community sites in lower income areas because that was the population of interest for the study. Uh, we recruited 15 English speaking, low income, um, those that were federal benefit eligible caregiver and child diets. And the children had to be between five and 10 years old. That was kind of the focus age group for this. Um, we'll talk later about how we've actually expanded that out a little bit um, since this project. Um, but again, we wanted to recruit from low-income neighborhoods. All the participants were African-American. Um, the average age of the child was nine years old. Um, There's a balanced mix of boys and girls. Caregivers included moms, dads, and grandparents, uh, but most they're mostly female caregivers. About half had access to a computer at home. Uh, most had access to a computer away from home and all had smartphones. And we'll talk more about why that's important and kind of the implications for future versions of this later. 
So for this research, we used an in-person mixed methods approach. And so first we asked the caregiver to complete a demographic survey. Then we conducted a structured observation of the child and caregiver going through the avatar program, which is really interesting. And we'll talk more about that. Um, and then we concluded by doing in-depth interviews with the child and caregiver to get feedback on the experience. Um, and this was audio and video recorded. So during the structured observations, uh, the child and caregiver went through the program and a member of the research team completed a structured observation of the child and caregiver um, as they went through the program. Uh, the research team examined the user's initial reaction, um, the usability of the program, uh, points of difficulty or confusion that the users were having, um, points of praise. So whenever the child or the parent said, you know, something, um, you know, in praise of the program or that they thought that that particular point or, you know, aspect of the program was good. And then also any discussion during the program between the child and the parent um, about the avatar or to each other um, and during the, the entire experience. And then um, we used audio and video recording to capture discussion and reactions. So I actually have um, a quick video. So we received permission from some other participants to share their video recording. And so we'll see if this plays here, a few short clips. And so yeah, just some short clips, but yeah, we had um, yeah video basically of the entire thing for every, every um, child. And we were just trying to, look to see like, you know, where, when were there really looking for nonverbals and like, when were there, um, you know, reactions or smiles or, you know, kind of confused looks or anything like that. And we then coded this stuff um, during the analysis. Okay. Um, then a little bit more about the in-depth interviews. So the goal of the interviews was to get qualitative feedback from users to understand their experience. Um, and these were um, conducted after the structured observation, and these were semi-structured interviews. Um, the children and adults were individually asked about their initial thoughts about the program, what they learned um, to determine the most salient information that they gathered from the program, what was missing from the program, and what they liked most and liked least about it. They were also asked how they would design the programs. I, I love that question. I love asking them, you know, if you could do any, if you could design it any way that you wanted to, how would you do it? That always gets a lot of really interesting responses. Um, whether they would use the program again, um, if they thought the program would change their behaviors, thoughts on the avatar. We were really interested to see kind of like how they felt about the avatar and the interaction they were having with it. And then also thoughts on the context-based guidance that the avatar was giving. So in terms of data analysis, uh, we did a detailed consensus codebook, um, which is developed by the research team after reviewing an uh, initial set of three transcripts. Uh, and we generated both inductive and deductive codes. Uh, the transcripts were then independently coded by two trained coders using LSTI. And a content analysis was conducted to determine trends and patterns in responses and salient quotes were extracted from the transcripts. So now I'll share the results. So the structured observations revealed uh, excitement about using the program, particularly interacting with the avatar. 
the experience seemed to hold the attention of both children and adults. And remember, we had some five-year-olds um, as part of our sample. So uh, that was a big test um, as someone that has a five-year-old myself. Um, children said things like, how does she know me? And cool, she got my name right. Um, this was all based off of gathering information from the user and then relaying that information back to the user through the avatar. Um, children shared things with, that, with the avatar that they had not shared with the caregivers, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, for example, um, this happened a lot, but this is one example. A child said, I like strawberries because um, the avatar was talking about different fruit that they could eat. And the caregiver said, I didn't know that. Um, some children found the typing challenging. So this was being tested using a laptop. Um, and especially for the younger kids, that was a little more challenging for them. Um, we're learning from this. Uh, it's prompting us to take a point and click style approach in our next generation, as well as kind of moving away from the laptop type setup. But we'll talk more about that later. Um, nearly all children described the program as fun with one child saying, I want to do it again. That was fun. The experience created a lot of discussion between the child and caregivers about dietary habits and food preferences, which was really interesting to watch and listen to. Uh, the most common forms of discussion between the child and the caregiver included clarification of behaviors. Um, and so there was a lot of back and forth about what was and wasn't true about the child's diet. Um, uh, the parent giving directions for how to kind of go through the program if the child wasn't quite clear. Um, dietary habits, so discussing kind of what the child typically ate, and then accountability. So there was a lot of, uh, as you saw in that video clip, a lot of times the parent would um, kind of look at the child and be like, hey, like I've told you we should only, you know, eat chips once a week or something, you know, stuff like that. So here's a, an exchange between a parent and a child as an example of a typical discussion. Um, so the parent asks the child, how many vegetables did you eat? Uh, zero look, you got to eat three servings. Um, and the child says, uh, are bananas a vegetable? The parent said, no. Um, the child said, what is a vegetable, an orange? The parent said, that's fruits. Look, a veggie tray, a tray with vegetables. So you could see that it was just really interesting to see kind of the nutrition knowledge these children had and just seeing this dialogue between the parents and the children. Um, one of the more interesting findings was how the avatar probed uh, Probing helped caregivers, or actually, sorry, we're going to move on to the interview results. Um, so one of the more interesting findings was how the avatar probe, probing helped caregivers learn new things or more about the child's preferences and behaviors. Um, again, the, like I mentioned before, the children were, were sharing things with the avatar that they hadn't talked about with the caregivers. Um, and so one of the adult participants uh, stated, I learned that he, their child, likes bananas and strawberries, but I didn't know that. Now I know certain stuff that he likes. So I thought that was a really cool and interesting thing about the program. Um, the avatar feedback helped caregivers know proper diet behaviors and growth patterns for their child. Here are a couple of quotes from two caregivers. So this first caregiver said, and like I say, a lot of the stuff that was new, what she was telling me, I was like, wow, like what? You know, like the fruits and vegetables. Uh, she was saying two, three servings a day. I think like one time a day. I didn't know it was to be two, three times a day. And another caregiver said, I told you it's a good program. Seriously, yeah, it's, it teaches you a lot because it's a lot of stuff I didn't know. But now I know. But no, yeah, I know now, sorry. 
more interview results. Uh, while most participants reported that there was not anything they disliked about the program, a few things did pop up. So um, some uh, one of the kids said the avatar talked too much. Um, another kid said there was insufficient interaction. Another kid said that the music being played, so there's music played in the background to kind of give it a fun vibe that that distracted from the avatar interaction. Um, one kid said that they felt a little bit weird about being asked their their ad, their home address, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then other kids uh, didn't like how the avatar pronounced their name, so that's an interesting kind of programming thing. Um, and then another kid uh, didn't like uh, seeing pictures of food because it made them hungry. Um, for the child concerned about us asking their address, um, we then explained to them why we were asking for their home address so that the avatar could give kind of contextualized feedback to them about their lived experience. And after we explained that to them, they reported that it didn't bother them. And so I think an important aspect of that um, piece of this is, is being really clear about why we're collecting that information. So all the kids and adults suggested they would use it again, and most said that it would change their shopping or dietary habits. The most reported reasons for wanting to use the program again included it being educational, fun, and the parents really liked the increased accountability um, that the avatar was giving to them as the parent. So uh, we specifically wanted to get feedback on the avatar itself. Uh, several participants mentioned that the avatar brought accountability by helping them acknowledge unhealthy behaviors for themselves or their child. Um, this caregiver said it was pretty good because it opened my eyes. Uh, it, it was pretty good for the simple fact, um, everything that I say at home, it's good for him to see, see it and hear it from someone else. Participants also liked that the avatar acknowledged them on a personal level. Um, this was a big aspect of the avatar was that it was very personalized and, and tailored. So here's a quote from a child about the avatar. I like how she was virtual and how she was the one asking questions and telling me about it. So telling about like how to eat healthy. The participants also liked that the avatar was culturally relevant. Um, so one of the adult participants said that was my initial favorite part about seeing her, that she was black. I thought that she was relatable. We also want to get some feedback on the context-based guidance. Um, participants liked that the information was tailored to them in their environment rather than just general advice that may not apply to their specific situation. So one caregiver said, I thought that was really neat. Actually, that stood out to me. Um, that is neat and we do need that. I would, I would recommend that and make it a little bit easier to make dietary changes and so, yeah. So uh, now we'll discuss some of the findings. So the results of our research indicate that this approach shows promise to increase access and extend the reach of existing nutrition education programs. The children and caregivers enjoyed the approach and found it helpful to their knowledge and intentions around healthier dietary behaviors. Um, our findings align with some exist, there is some existing research out there. Um, so LaRouge et al. in 2016 did some focus groups for teenagers, and they thought that an avatar program might reinforce guidance and support, might fit with their lifestyle and help set future goals. Um, a prominent finding in our study was the avatar's ability to probe children's behaviors and create environmental cues to spark intentional dialogue between the child and caregiver around dietary habits and behavior. 
Um, this type of communication appeared to not have happened before, at least not on the regular basis for most of the dyads. These findings indicate that the avatar coaching program may help increase communication between caregivers and children about dietary intake and food preferences. Um, this may be particularly useful for behaviors and preferences formed outside of the home. Our study does have some limitations. Um, the qualitative nature of the study, as well as the use of a convenience sample, limits transferability to other populations. Um, there, may be, there may also be some social desirability bias with the participant responses related to the program. And then the potential for coding bias also exists just because of the qualitative nature of this, but we used rigor, rigorous research methods to try and minimize that bias. Um, so there's, there are several next steps that we're taking with this work. Um, the results presented today were the examination of the user experiences from a first stage of development of this approach. And this study provides information for the continued improvement of the program in future generations. Uh, additional work is needed to assess and quantify the impact of this type of approach on short and long-term dietary behaviors. Future research should examine the influence of increasing the opportunity to personalize the program through user customization of avatar characters and settings. And lastly, further exploration into the feasibility barriers and facilitators of the adoption and dissemination of, the approach, of this approach is needed. So I just wanna provide a few project updates um, since this was published. Um, so the project has evolved a lot based on what we've learned in terms of what the users want and what is the best strategy for software development. Um, we've had lots of um, software development iterations and design changes to the program. We have more avatars, we have a more dynamic user experience. The program is now smartphone based um, to get away from some of the typing issues. Um, but because we moved from the computer to the phone, that actually meant some changes in the, the design of the program just to make it more accessible. Um, we have added a physical activity component to the program. We've created a version for older kids, ages 10 to 14. Uh, we're gearing up for some pilot testing of this new version of the program to determine feasibility and short-term impacts on dietary and physical activity behaviors. And then interestingly, and I'm more than happy to talk more about this um, during the questions section, but we're also going through the intellectual property process for the newest version of the project. I think it's a really important topic um, and one that people doing tech development projects for nutrition education should really think through and consider for their projects. And I'm happy to give you the reasons kind of why we were going this route. We've learned a lot of lessons from this project. Uh, technology projects and software development aren't easy and um, takes time and resources. And you really need the right expertise on the team. And so we've actually brought in some computer science uh, faculty and experts to try and help facilitate the project and push it forward. Um, you really need software developers and user-centered design experts that understand, that also understand the goals of nutrition education and what we're trying to accomplish. You need community stakeholders um, that understand the feasibility of these types of approaches and also understand user needs. Um, there's, we have lots of, we have weekly discussions to talk about the software developments and what it should look like and where it should go. And we've done a lot of iterative testing. Um, that's just super important that you're constantly kind of tweaking it and improving it, but it also makes it more time intensive. Uh, really, one really important uh, piece of advice is to only uh, develop 
as much as you need to test that specific concept or approach, uh, you can definitely get over your skis very quickly. Uh, we are always interested in collaborating, um, and I'm always looking for prospective doctoral students interested in digital technology for nutrition. Provided my contact information if you'd like to reach out. Just want to say thank you to some of our community partners who have helped facilitate this project. Really thankful for them. And then thank you to JNEB for the Best Research Brief Award and the opportunity to present today. I also want to make a plug for the Digitech division of SNEB um, as the former chair. I'm always trying to push people into the division. I think it's a really awesome division that's doing really cool things for the society. So come and join us. And that concludes my talk. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you so much for sharing that work. It was really fascinating to learn about. If anyone has any questions, you can put those into the question and answer uh, portion in, in Zoom. So a couple of questions that um, had come up. First of all, does as you're going to use this program with an individual participant, does the avatar need to be programmed for each user or do they, I, I thought of this because of the being able to pronounce the name. Does the user enter their name or does the researcher program it ahead of time? Yeah. So I guess there's a, I'll try and answer that in a few different ways. So the one way is how it was done for this, for the project that I presented. Right. And so, or for that research study that we did there. Um, so we, we had, and this is why, you know, it came up that one of the, that the avatar mispronounced one of the names you have to, that's one kind of challenging thing about programming. Although there are some, there's some approaches that you can use now that help to, to kind of deal with some of these pronunciation issues, but how it happened for this was that at the beginning of the interaction, the person we had created like a, a home um, page and like an interface where the person, or the parent and the child entered their information in and um, including their name and their address and all that. And so based off of that information, there was a decision tree in the background that um, was feeding information to the software that the software then put information back out. And so basically like it saw the name that was put into the blank um, at the home page, and it would insert that in throughout whenever the avatar was talking to the child by name. So that's how that was done um, initially. But yeah, what the version that we have now and where we're kind of where, how we've kind of evolved is that we're using more kind of um, kind of more advanced software programming um, to try and deal with some of those issues. And so again, it, this is a similar setup in that we there needs to be some kind of initial data gathering step at the very beginnings where we ask them their name and their home address and everything. But we just have a little bit more in the background to be able to try and and improve um, the the way that they pronounce names and all that kind of stuff. Although you know it'll be interesting as we continue testing to see if there's if we need to kind of do a, a correction over time. Or, you know if we see that the avatar is still not getting it right that we you know, ask um, the user to, you know, kind of write out their name in a way that they want to have it pronounced. But that's, that's a good question. Yeah, that is interesting. So another question is, can you explain more how you use the participant's address to personalize the program for them? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I didn't get to go into too much detail um, in the presentation. In the paper, there's a little more detail about that. 
But basically, it's using the data integration approach. And so we pull information from a couple different databases. And this has actually evolved over time. Um, and so what for this initial project, what we did was we used the USDA's like Food Desert Atlas. And we pulled that information down. And we programmed it so that whenever the person put in their address, we then identified based off that USDA data set uh, if that person lived in a food desert. And so we actually like brought that up. We weren't doing it in a way that was like, oh, you live in a food desert, so sorry. It was more that, hey, we're acknowledging this, the situation that you live in. And based off of that, we're gonna give you some tips on how you can still try and find some healthy options within um, a, an environment where healthy foods are limited. So, or strategies and that kind of stuff. And so basically there was, um, yeah, like I said, the, we downloaded these data sets. Um, we also downloaded um, a business data set. We downloaded, a, it was a CDC data set that we downloaded that had some information on like, I think it was a food environment index or something like that. So really like anything that we could kind of get our hands on and then put into this, this central data set that the programmer then connected to the address so that we could give some initial feedback now we've actually evolved it to use more kind of cloud-based data sets, um, which there's a bunch out there, including things like, um, you know, the Google API, um, Google Maps API that has all this information about kind of what's in that person's environment. Um, and so, you know, we can actually say, well, here's your address and here's the closest park to your address. Did you know this was there? Have you used it before? That sort of thing. That's really neat. So you're able to, the education that the avatar is giving is being tailored based on what their address is and what their needs might be specifically related to food deserts. Yeah, to food, yeah, to their food environment and to their physical activity environment. Um, and I think as, I, like I said, it's just, it's just the idea of integration, data integration, just tapping into you know, cloud-based databases that are already out there and just bring it into, that's the cool thing about this kind of digital um, approach is that we're, we're able to pull in information from different sources through these APIs to get at context a little more. And then we also just ask the person directly, like describe, like we, we kind of probe them about what their food environment is like, or do they find it safe to exercise and around their home and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, both a combination of pulling in um, external data sets and also kind of just collecting information about perceived environmental um, experiences from the user and giving information based off of that. Yeah, that's really neat. So you had mentioned finding computer science, computer software people who are also uh, have an understanding of nutrition education. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, definitely not easy. Um, so I, and it's not that you'll necessarily, there are people in computer science that definitely have a health focus. Um, it may not be nutrition education, but they, you know, they do stuff with like EHRs and stuff like that. And so I think those people are always a little bit easier to kind of uh, get on board and to pull into the project. But I think, you you know, if anything, um, you may just have to spend some time, like just really being clear about what the goals are and kind of what the typical approaches are for nutrition education. And then, you know, you don't want to get stuck in the traditional approaches or typical approaches, but you do want to at least give them some context of what people have experienced and kind of how we can 
um, build and grow from that. Um, so yeah, if you can't find someone that that has experience kind of in, in the realm of health interventions, then definitely um, just know that you're probably gonna have to spend some time like helping them to understand kind of what you're going for. Makes sense. As you've added new avatars, do does the user then pick which avatar they want to interact with or do you, is that predetermined? Yeah, that's a great question. So I mentioned that we've done several iterations. Um, and we, so we've actually kind of gone really advanced with the user customization. And now we're actually kind of pulling back a little bit, uh, mainly due to, um, you know, if you get too advanced with some of these software programs, then it becomes an issue of whether they can actually use it on a phone that's not a brand new smartphone. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we had gone where they could like do like some really cool customizations around clothing and like all this kind of stuff it, that like looked super realistic. Um, and people really enjoyed that, but they, they enjoy it not in a way that you always predict. And so there is some literature out there, not from our space, but from, you know, just people kind of researching, you know, avatars just in general about kind of use people's preferences for what they look like. So, you know, generally adults like um, more realistic avatars um, that they can relate to. Children typically like more um, uh, kind of, um, I don't know, cartoonish or like not quite real, like, like they have a little bit more interesting dynamics around the appearance. Um, and so it was just really interesting to give kids like the opportunity to fully customize, customize like, even skin tone, um, clothing, hair, like all that stuff. And it's not always what you would think, like um, like what you would expect for kids to, to think, you know, we did find that some kids did really relate to having someone that looked like them. And some kids created avatars that look completely different from them. Um, so yeah, that's definitely an interesting piece. And I think there needs to be more research exploring that from a nutrition education perspective, like what resonates, you know, how customizable does it need to be um, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. Yeah. So another participant says, thanks for your presentation. Um, you mentioned that children interacted well with the avatars. Can you expand on how the adults felt about them? Were they relatable to the adult participants? Yeah. So if, if you notice, and so this, for this project, we just had one avatar. It was Kale. It was this kind of older, I mean, you know, older person. It wasn't a kid. Um, you know, we've, we've like since gone to more kid-like avatars to make it more relatable to the child. All the, the children didn't really mind that the, that the avatar was older. Um, but the, I think, you know, some of the quotes even, you know, it came through that the adults, they hadn't really seen something like this before. <laughs> they hadn't experienced like nutrition education or like health information in this way before. And so I think they were really intrigued by it. Um, they were like, wait, this is very different than what I've kind of used to. This kind of creates more of a, a dynamic experience. Um, so I would say uh, the, the adults were pretty into it. Um, you know, it, I think we had created a pretty good balance. You know, we, were, we spent a lot of time like making the child script or the child experience specific to the child and then making the adult experience very relevant and approachable for the adults. So um, there was definitely like, you know, when the child was done, there was a pretty big shift um, to make the, the adult start or the avatar started talking a lot more in an adult way and started, you know, having just more of an adult conversation. And so I think 
you know, designing it that way made it a lot more approachable for both the child and the parent. Very nice. Well, I think that's all our questions. Um, I want to thank you again for sharing your work with us. And at this point, I can hand it over to Hannah. Hi all, uh, thank you once again to Dr. Jared McGurr and Dr. Kristen DiFilippo. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. And now I do have a few reminders before I close today's session. Uh, first, please complete the survey that you will receive when we close out of today's session. Your feedback is greatly appreciated and that is how we improve uh, the webinars including Journal Club for the future. Second, uh, let's be on the lookout for an email with today's recording, handouts, and the CEU certificate. And lastly, if you enjoyed today's webinar, uh, please be sure to check out upcoming webinar section of our website. I do know we have another Journal Club webinar next week. And actually, I lied. This is my last thing. Um, if you are a member of SNEB, uh, we have our deadline for call for programs as Halloween. Uh, so October 31st it is a Monday. So if you are looking forward to submitting a proposal for a concurrent session at conference for July, or if you know of a local tour uh, type of event, that would be a great fit for SNAB. We would love to hear from you. And you can find more information about that on our website. And that concludes today's session. So thank you all of you for joining us and have a wonderful rest of your Monday.